Lord God, we do thank you for the joy that you have given us in Christ Jesus. We thank you for the joy of your word. Let us, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be filled by your word this morning, moved to serve and follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. So throughout our time of Advent, we have been covering the promises of God given to us in the Old Testament, fulfilled in Christ Jesus. We did that in Advent, we did that on Christmas Eve, and we are going to be doing it today as well. So the promises that we've covered so far have been really sweeping in nature, haven't they? There has been purity and justice, righteousness and holiness, sin, sacrifice, salvation, healing and redemption, love and joy, and then Emmanuel, God with us. And we have seen those promises all the way from Genesis through Revelation. So when I talk about sweeping, it has been really very, very sweeping. And it has all been fulfilled in one person, one man, Christ Jesus the Lord. So today we're going to continue on with the promises that have been foretold and now fulfilled in Jesus. And it is this, Jesus is the horn of our salvation. So let us go with the text. We are in Luke chapter 1, starting verse 67. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So in a little bit, we're going to get to the blessing that he starts with in his prophecy. But we need to lay some groundwork first before we actually get to the blessing. So let's lay some groundwork first. Context. If you recall, Zechariah is John the Baptist's father. Zechariah was a priest. He was an ordinary country priest, one of about 8,000 who lived in Palestine at that time in that area. And if you recall, I'm going to ask this. Who was he married to? Do you remember? Zechariah was married to Elizabeth. Yeah, you didn't know there was going to be a quiz this morning. Elizabeth. And how many children did Zechariah and Elizabeth have? None. She was barren at that time. So Zechariah was in the temple, and he was offering up prayers and incense before the Lord. And what angel came to him? Oh, yeah, I know. We got a Gabriel, right? Yeah, everybody's going, yeah, of course, it was Gabriel. Gabriel came to him, and Gabriel said, you and your wife Elizabeth are going to have a son, and you shall call him John. But Zechariah had doubt about what Gabriel was saying, so Gabriel said, you are going to be mute. You're not going to be, to be able to speak until he is born. Okay? Ooh, candle. So that's the context, right? Now, John the Baptist, his son, is born. 
And then on the eighth day, on the eighth day, they had to name him. And so they asked Elizabeth, what Elizabeth said his name is to be John. And that was very odd for the mother to say John, because that wasn't a family name. But Zechariah also wrote down John. And when he wrote down John, his tongue was loosened and he was filled with the Holy Spirit and he gave a prophecy. Think about that, being bottled up, not being able to speak for all of those months. And then the Holy Spirit comes upon him and he gushes forth with prophecy. So before we get to the prophecy and the blessing, we need to lay another part of the foundation. What is prophecy? Because there's a, it's used very loosely in our day. Prophecy is this. It is either a foretelling or a foretelling. So when we speak of foretelling, that means you have said, this is what the Lord has said. Are there prophetic people this day? You bet there are. Because if you have a Bible-based, Christ-centered preacher who is sticking faithfully to the word, it is prophetic in nature because it has authority of God's word. Thus says the Lord. You want a prophetic statement? Here it is. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and there is no other way to the Father except through him. That's, prof that's prophecy. Thus says the Lord, it is forthtelling. The other part is foretelling. What will occur? There's a lot of mischief that happens in our day and age regarding prophecy. I want to point this out because the new year is going to start. And there's going to be a lot of false preachers, teachers, who are going to say, the Lord has said to me, this is what's going to happen this year, and the blessings will abound. How many pastors, preachers, false prophets said that of 2020? They weren't very good at that uh, prophecy, were they? So Zechariah has mostly forthtelling and some foretelling. On your sermon notes, by the way, and they're available on the website, you notice I have a little arrow that going, points to the back of the page, and on the back of the page lists all of the different prophecies and Old Testament references in what Zechariah has said. It would be very worthwhile for you to go through that. He is forthtelling, and it actually clarifies this in verse 70 from our text today, as he, that's the Lord, as the Lord spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. So by the power of the Holy Spirit, Zechariah is saying, thus the Lord has said. And think about this, okay? His tongue's finally loosened. It's been months since he could say anything whatsoever. And you would think he would talk something first and foremost about his son, John the Baptist, and who he's going to be, but he doesn't. His prophecy is first and foremost about who? It is about Jesus, the Savior. And that's how it always should be. 
Our prophecy should always point to Jesus first and foremost. Even John the Baptist in his ministry, he recognized this. John, Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 26. John, John the Baptist, answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So the difference between Jesus and John the Baptist is so great, John the Baptist understands his place. Jesus must always be preeminent. Look, no matter, no matter how good an evangelist you might see or hear, or how much you might love listening to a, a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, Jesus Christ should always be preeminent. Ultimately, you shouldn't point to the pastor and say, oh, I love the pastor. It should always be, I love Christ. And the pastor, teacher, preacher is always pointing me to Jesus. That's how it should be. Okay, so you got it. We've laid the ground floor for what the blessing is going to be. So now let's get to the blessing. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Zechariah's prophecy is sometimes called the Benedictus or benediction, which just means blessing. And he's actually taking his blessing directly from Scripture. In multiple places, you're going to find this, blessed be the Lord God of Israel. Actually, the end of Psalm, I believe, 41 says, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. So he starts with God's own word. And he starts off with a blessing. And why would he start off with a blessing? You have to remember, it had been 400 years since the word of the Lord had come to the nation of Israel. 400 years from Malachi up to the birth of Christ, God had been silent. And people were waiting, just waiting for word of the Lord, for the Messiah, for the anointed one. And think about it, 400 years, you might think that God would have forgotten but as it says, and I'm gl glad that Bill pointed out from our uh, reading from Isaiah, it talks about the Lord remembered. The Lord has not forgotten. The Lord has remembered. Even Zachariah's name, do you know, you wouldn't know this one. Zachariah's name means the Lord has remembered. Now, the memory of the Lord and remembering of the Lord is different than my memory and your memory. I mean, think about it. Okay, how many of you have gone into a room and stood there? I know I came in here for some reason. Have you, I mean, you've done that right? And sometimes you go out of the room and think, I have no idea why I went in there. Now, I, Heidi and I were talking with some friends uh, this week about Christmas and Christmas presents and how sometimes you hide a Christmas present and you can't even find it. 
You know, my mom called that putting in a safe place. And then our friends, yeah, and then you find it later and you can't even remember who you bought it for. I mean, that's the kind of memory that you and I have, isn't it? And we often remember once it's too late. But when we talk about the Lord remembering, it's not that at all. It's much, much different than that because the Lord never forgets. He doesn't forget whatsoever. See, when the Bible, when Scripture speaks about the Lord remembering, it never just has a past tense meaning. It always has a present effect. So when it says the Lord remembered, it's not that he forgot and then he's going to do something. It means it has that present effect in the here and now. And so Zechariah is saying, blessed be the Lord God. He has remembered He has brought forth in his time a horn of salvation. So let's talk about the blessing of the horn of salvation. For he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David. Have you ever, I mean, I don't know about you, but in my conversations, I rarely speak about raising up a horn of salvation just doesn't roll off my lips very well. And we hear it, you know, almost each and every year, we generally hear that somewhere in Scripture. But have you ever stopped to think, what does that mean? So let's just talk about this. Animals, right? Animals have horns. You've seen the big horned sheep. Have you ever seen two rams really just go at it? They charge at each other and they hit with such force. There is power and might, and you would never want to get in the way of those rams, and certainly the ram's horns, would you? Power and might. Also, there's two other, there's an oxen with horns like that, or the longhorn steer. You would never want to get in front of those, right? As a matter of fact, if you do, this is what it looks like. The running of the bulls in Spain. Look at the men's faces. Because those horns are about to come at them, right? There is power, there is might, there is strength, and you don't want to be opposed to those horns. So when the Bible speaks about the horn of salvation, it's about the very power, the might, the strength of God. That's what the horn of salvation means. And there's two references that really you should take a look at, both from David, 2 Samuel verse 22, uh, t- uh, chapter 22, verse 3, and then Psalm 18, verse 2. And by the way, Psalm 18, verse 2, is the one we did for our call to worship this morning. So these are Psalms of David after God saved him from his enemy Saul. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, My God, my rock, in whom I take refuge, my shield, and the horn of my salvation. So it's about the power and might of God. Lord God, Yahweh, I am who has saved David. Now, it also has a reference to the altar, to the altar where sacrifices were made. On the altar, and this is just an artist's rendition, there were four horns, one on each corner of the altar. And they would take blood 
and put it on the horns as part of purification for an atonement for sin. So to say the horn of my salvation, there's an atonement for sin and thus also the power of God's salvation. And also there's a reference about those who came and took and held on to the horn in the altar and was a place of refuge for them where they were safe and secure. So it has much greater meaning than you and I would ever think of for the prophecy that Jesus is the horn of our salvation. Because Jesus' name alone means God saves. Yahweh saves. And whereas the title, the horn of my salvation, was always given to Yahweh God in the Old Testament, now it is applied directly to Jesus Christ, the Savior. So the salvation Jesus brings is strong and triumphant. In him we find our refuge. In him we find salvation. In him we are rescued from our enemies. This is what it means when, Je when Zechariah says, the Lord has given us the horn of salvation in that child, Jesus. And that we should be saved from our enemies. Going on in verse 71, that we should be saved from our enemies in the hand of all who, all who hate us to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us. Listen, the nation of Israel had a lot of enemies, a lot of different enemies. And one of the reasons they had a lot of different enemies is because the nation of Israel said there is one God alone. There are no other gods. And all of these other nations were praising and sacrificing to these other gods, and it was evil. Do you remember I talked about Ahaz? Do you remember what Ahaz did with his son? He burned him to a pagan god. That is the evil and wickedness in which the others had pagan worship. But Israel stood alone and said, there is one God above all. In him and him alone you must praise. But Israel had been overthrown because of their rebellion, because of their lack of repentance, because of the lack of listening to the prophets of old. They had been overthrown. They had been in exile. And though they had been brought back to Israel, now during this time they were under Roman oppression. And so they were looking for a political and military overthrow. But did God save Israel? And did God save us because we deserve it so much? No, I mean, take a look at Israel. They didn't deserve it at all. Why did God do that? Because of his promise, his covenantal promise. He showed mercy and grace. This is what it says, Genesis chapter 17. And I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you 
throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you because of God's love. And we talked about that in our study in Ruth, his hesed, hesed, steadfast, merciful, gracious love. He remembered, kept his promise, a past promise, a present effect, a covenantal promise that he would not break. So, when, when we think about Jesus as the horn of salvation, we have to remember what the promise that was given to us in Christ Jesus. Because I have to give a warning right now. In our nation, there have been a lot of people, Christians, who are acting much more like the nation of Israel. And they are looking for political, military power in our country. We want to rule the country. And I don't mean they want that in, a, in an evil way. They just want us to be a Christian nation by force, almost. And so a lot of their focus becomes on the political structures throughout our nation. And it has been rising like that. Did Jesus promise that? He didn't, did he? That's not the promise of Jesus, who is the horn of salvation. It is on a battle that is much greater than you and I and most people ever think about. It is a spiritual battle that is taking place right now. And the promise of his might is that there is a defeat of all unrighteousness, a defeat of sin and death. This is the promise. You see, the real enemy, the real battle, is on a much greater scale than you and I can imagine. What is defeated is all of the unrighteousness and sin of the devil. What is defeated is death itself. And did Jesus do that because we deserve it? No. He did it because of his great love, his great mercy, his compassion, his grace. This is the battle. And on the cross, when he said it is finished, the war was declared done. Now there are still skirmishes, there are still battles taking place, but the war is done. And in him, there's peace. And we can serve him without fear and in holiness. So, verse 74, I'm going to get to this in a moment. Verse 74 says that we, being delivered from our hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and in righteousness before him all of our days. So, if you recall Christmas Eve, and if you were here or watched online, it, it was just special. And at one point, I just stopped because I was so taken aback 
by how peaceful it was and how serene it was in here. And for the moment, the rest of the world didn't exist. And there was just the peace of Christ among us. And it talked about how this, this peace comes, this peace comes from the love of Christ. And I mentioned 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. You see, for those who, who aren't of Christ, they should fear him greatly. But those who are in Christ, there is no fear. There's the peace and the love. And because all of that has gone away, all that fear, everything else, we can serve him with joy, right? We can serve him with love. We can do all that he asks of us. And if you remember, during Christmas Eve, I also asked that it not be just another Christmas Eve. You know, for a lot of people, a lot of churches, by the way, aren't so filled on this Sunday following Christmas Eve because there are a lot of people, and I've learned this term recently, I've heard it differently, but there are a lot of people who are CEOs. Do you know what that term is? Christmas and Easter only. I had heard that they were CE Christians, but I, I've recently this year I heard that they were CEOs. So they've said, ah, I've done Christmas Eve. Good, I've done that. I can put it all away. And Christmas fades really fast, doesn't it? Put away the decorations, put away everything else, turn on the football game on Christmas Day. I mean, really, do they have to have a football game on Christmas Day? Couldn't they just put all of that away and celebrate and live for Christ Jesus? Yeah, amen. Amen to that. And that's what you and I are to do. We are then to live for him, and we are to live for him in holiness and righteousness. You see, Jesus has freed us and redeemed us so that we might live in freedom and serve him. Pastor John Piper wrote this, God's aim in raising a horn of salvation is not merely to liberate an oppressed people, but to create a holy and righteous people who live in no fear because they trust him. Because of the great love with which he has loved us, we are then to love him and serve him. This is also why the reading from 1 Peter was included. 1 Peter says this, As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God's chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You and I are to be living stones, to live as a royal priesthood. And by the way, how long are we supposed to do that? All the days of our lives. That is what we are to do not just Christmas and Easter only, all the days of our lives. Okay, 
That, in short form, by the way, was what Zechariah proclaimed in his blessing. That from God and through the Son and through the power of the Holy Spirit, he has said, you have a horn of salvation. Now he finally gets to his son, John the Baptist. And I'm just giving you uh, two of the verses up here, but starting with verse 76. And you, child, this is John the Baptist he's talking of, and you, child, will be called prophet of the Most High. For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet in the way of peace. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the days of its public appearance to Israel. There is a whole sermon or sermon series just alone in that. We're not going to go in depth. I'm going to just briefly, briefly here. The prophecy about John the Baptist, his son, is this, that he would give knowledge of salvation, to give light to those who are in darkness and the shadow of death, to show them the way of peace. Now, this prophecy was specifically about John the Baptist, and that's exactly what he did, didn't he? Is there any application, though, for us? I mean, it's not a prophecy to us. At the same time, is there an application for us? And indeed, I think there is. I think there is. Remember, we're supposed to be living stones, right? As what do living stones do? Well, they share the good news with others. They tell of Christ Jesus, the light of the world. They share peace of Christ with others so that they don't have to live in fear, so that they can live a life unto the Lord. You see, today's message is actually really simple but quite profound, I think. God has blessed us with Jesus, the horn of salvation, through whom we are redeemed from sin and death itself. Therefore, let us serve him with gladness and joy. Let us live a life of holiness unto him and share the salvation, the light and peace of Christ. That's the message today. So for you to take this in, to have it work on you. Three things. I would take the back of the sermon notes. And if you didn't grab one, they're on the tables in the back. And for you uh, online, they're also on our website. I would read and cross-reference all the Old Testament references in Zechariah's prophecy. Just see what the Lord has spoken. And then with Scripture as your base, put into your own words how Jesus is the horn of salvation. And then ask this question of yourself. How is the Holy Spirit guiding you to a life of holiness and righteousness unto Jesus? If you do these, you will grow in the love and knowledge of Jesus. You will live in greater peace. And I think that is quite a blessing. 
And all the people said, Amen. 